0: eyes peeled everyone it's time for the full 10 yards college football podcast hello and welcome to the full 10 yards college podcast as always it's lee wakefield on the airwaves uh, to bring you another exciting review of college football and this week, not only going to be talking about college football, we'll be dipping our toe into the NFL waters, as we, you know, keep our eyes on the a few of the first-year players, through the rookies on the opening weekend, who, uh, yeah, had pretty decent, pretty decent times of things, I would say. Um, so no introductions this week. I'm flying solo again. Uh, so let's just dive straight in. So we'll start with the college football uh, items on the list and some standout performances. Just want to start off. In the ACC with uh, Jamie Newman and Wake Forest. Now this is someone that Thomas mentioned uh, last week. I think it was. As someone to keep an eye on and someone who's playing at a really, really high level. Um, Jamie Newman's, uh you know, playing really well. Uh, I know it was only Rice at the weekend, um, but you know, 21 for 27 in terms of completions for 312 yards and three touchdowns. That's not really to be sniffed at, no matter who the opposition is. You know, it's a really efficient performance, racking up some decent yards. And getting the victory, and obviously with that victory, Wake Forest now two and zero. And as Thomas mentioned last week, they've they've kind of got a bit of a soft schedule, and they could be sitting pretty uh, for the next couple of weeks uh, with a couple more wins coming in. We talked uh, you know, for the first week uh, he overshadowed John Love. We're obviously a big fan of John Love on the podcast. I know I am in particular. I think he's got a chance to be a really high draft pick next year in the draft in Vegas. And Jamie Newman overshadowed him as uh, as Wake Forest beat Utah State. And Jamie Newman's not really getting the attention that he deserves, I think, on on, the, on those scores uh, for playing you know, two really good games. He's had a big jump up in accuracy, big jump up in yards per attempt for the season. He's through two weeks, of course. It's only a small sample size. Um, but, you know, they're big jumps on less. And, you know, if it continues, then he'll be getting on everyone's radar just as he is ours. Um, last year, as we mentioned, he time-shared at Wake Forest, only playing six games. But now he's got the job full time and it just seems like the the game's just slowed down for him just a, just a tick or two just and you know, year players say all the time that mentally it just, just seems a bit slower and um, and they can just make the reads easier and just see the game a bit slower and make plays next up North Carolina next to Demon Deacons who have had a good start themselves won both games and that'd be a nice conference matchup between like I say two teams have had a really good start so definitely one to watch in week three next up do you want to move on to the Big Ten? And the story here isn't really what we'd expect. You know, Big Ten, we're thinking Penn State, we're thinking Ohio State, we're maybe even thinking Iowa or Wisconsin. But no, this week's Big Ten storyline for Week 2 is none other than the Maryland offense. Now, like I said, I wasn't expecting to be talking about this so early on in the season. Last year, the Terps finished 5-7, and seven. Coming off controversy with like a player dying during practice for heat stroke and being branded as like having a toxic culture, the head coach leaving in the wake of that. But this year, all changed and they've started out with a 79 point shot out against Howard. Yeah, okay, fair play. You know, it's kind of expected, it's a cupcake to begin the year, it's only Howard. Uh, obviously Maryland are a quite a decent um, Big Ten team, Big Ten program then in week two, you know, 63 points racked up against Syracuse, who were a sleeper team for a lot of people. Uh, Maryland put them to the sword, you know, 62-20. And I think that's a really big win against a team that a lot of people fancied, especially in their own conference in the ACC. Uh, a lot of the damage has been done on the ground. Uh, they've got a nice stable of running backs there, the Terrapins have, with Tayon Fleet-Davis, Anthony McFarlane, Jake Funk. They've all had big stats to the season. Uh, McFarland, especially, he's got four... Uh, touchdowns already although it's uh, Jake Funk uh, who leads the team in the yards uh, and then ranked 21 in the country now and I don't think a lot of people had them ranked that highly so a lot of people are taking notice especially when you're racking up big scores albeit against one lesser opposition but yeah that's a, of, that's a lot of points on average and you know they've got Temple next week so I'll be looking for them to kind of repeat that, uh, rack up a big score again and impress and continue to impress and you know, are they going to be the surprise package of the Big Ten and of college football? Essentially, you know, that's a really, really hot start and it's whether they can keep it up. Now, next up, I just want to move on to the Pac-12. Obviously, I can't leave it too long without getting on to the Pac-12 and with regards to the Pac-12, I want to talk about the college football playoff. I want to talk about whether the Pac-12 is almost out of playoff contention already. I know it's week two, I know it's early, it's going to seem really, really early for me to bring this up, but... As we know, you know, the Pac-12 already plays from behind the eighth ball when it comes to playoff qualification. We know the conference beats up on itself a hell of a lot. And that's kind of what I want to talk about, really. Um, before the season began, uh, I thought there was about three opportunities that the Pac-12 had to make the playoff. I had the teams down um, quite highly as and again, in playoff contention as Oregon, Utah and Washington. For me, these are the three best teams in the conference and I don't think it's too close and preseason, I read sorry. And in preseason, I had them ranked as three of the best teams in the country. When I released my personal top twenty five, and we did, you know, our top twenty five as a group, as a as a staff. I personally had Oregon at six, Utah at nine, and Washington eleven. Eleven. As we know, big game in the first week of the season. Uh, Oregon lost to Auburn, um, in yeah, quite a close one. One that they should have won for sure, in my opinion. And I had my views on that last week. Uh, and this week, Washington fell to Cal in quite odd circumstances. In the fact that it was, you know, heavily delayed. There's power cuts at the stadium, um, and even in America, it finished in the early hours of the morning. I think they actually got play beginning at ten thirty in the evening, if I'm not mistaken. I'm trying to remember back to Saturday, Saturday night slash Sunday morning when I was kind of watching all the college football go down. Uh, and yeah, you know, Cal won. It's the same conditions for both teams. Uh, Cal were on the road as well. This was at Husky Stadium in Washington, in Seattle. And they lost the conference game by one point, Cal took that one. And, you know, fair play, that's that's fine, you know, Cal aren't bad. But, you know, as a, as a Washington, as an Oregon, as a Utah, you want to be winning these conference matchups and you want to be trying to go undefeated if you wouldn't go and try and get in the college football playoff. And I'll come a little bit, a little bit more onto that in a little while. So out of the Pac-12, out of those three teams that I mentioned, that's two out of the three teams that have lost the game already. I don't know. I don't know. Neither of these teams can lose again. Neither Oregon or Washington can lose again this season, in my opinion. In even if one of those teams has a, a one loss record at the end of the year, I think the committee'll try and keep them out. I think we're really playing behind the eighth ball now in uh, in the Pac twelve in terms of in terms of a college football playoff, you know, berth for anyone. I feel like Oregon still have the best chance out of those two. Uh, and if they are a one loss team going into the playoffs, because they lost against Auburn, who will be ranked at the end of the year. They're on a big program themselves. And um, they lost on a neutral site in a. In actually, geographically, it's not. It's quite a lot close to Auburn, who are in Alabama. They played that, in, that game in Dallas, of course, at, at AT&T Stadium. And that's a long way from Eugene, Oregon, to to fly and then travel and play. Uh, and I think that might count for something. So I think Oregon are basically. I think they've got a. Some plausible doubt let's say some plausible doubt that they that they you know lost that game because of those things, and if that was in Eugene then they might have beat Oregon uh, sorry beaten Auburn excuse me however, you know we'll move on move on to those one of those three teams that I've neglected to mention and that is Utah, so you know a fair few people had Utah down as a playoff team in the preseason, and a lot of people got shouted down for saying that you know <laughs> it was good it was a it was a semi popular pit. you know. I saw quite a lot of the big media people sort of making a shout for Utah, and you know, I don't think they got a lot of backing for that, perhaps amongst each other. So as I say, I think they'll have to go undefeated uh, to do that, because I, I think, you know, I think, well, you look, other, you look at the other, look at the other teams who are going to be there. I've got Clemson to go undefeated in the ACC. You know, we all know the ACC is Clemson and everyone else. I don't see them dropping one. There's one or two opportunities on Clemson's schedule. They passed one of those uh, this week with Texas A&M, but we'll come on to that a little bit later on again. So again, I have Clemson undefeated and they'll make it into the College Water Playoff. They're the number one team in the nation at the moment and I can see that being the case or very close to it for the foreseeable future and all the way to the end of the season. I also have Oklahoma to go undefeated in the Big 12. Uh, They've had a red hot start to the season. I think they've got a couple of opportunities again to... To drop a drop a uh, game and uh, and go you know into the end of the season with one or two defeats perhaps but I do think they'll go undefeated. I think Jalen Hurts will win the Heisman as I said, and I think they'll be they'll be right up there. I think they'll go and make a really good fist of it, perhaps more so than they did last year in the College Football Playoff. And then obviously we come on to Alabama in the SEC, and I think they'll go undefeated again, and um, they'll be there in the College Football Playoff, of course. So they're you know. At the beginning of the season, you're probably going to put Clemson and Alabama in no matter what, unless something goes massively wrong. And then obviously, if you're going to have a, an undefeated Big 12 team in Oklahoma, who are going to put up a lot of points, win a lot of games by big margin, and and they're going to be undefeated again, like I say. You know, they're going to be in there, so that leaves, that leaves one team. And, uh, you know, that's three spots gone, like I say, one team to go. And man, I just really need Utah to do this. I, I want a Pac-12 team to make it, and um, for that reason... For the rest of this year at least, I'm a Utah fan. Uh there's a couple of good things going for Utah. Obviously they've got a really good team first and foremost, which is obviously quite important. Uh but Utah don't have to play Oregon. Uh they finished the season um at Washington versus UCLA at Arizona versus Colorado in the final four games. And, you know, UCLA's side I think that's pretty tough points. I think you describe Arizona on the road as pretty awkward and Colorado, they've got quite a talented team as well. So I think they're You know another one that they could fall to, but like I say, I think the Utes are a good team. Obviously, I think a lot of people think they're a good team, and uh, yeah, they're the sort of final hope now. I think for the Pac-12 when it comes to the college football playoff. I've got to admit, I have my doubts that they'll do it, but it's definitely a storyline to keep our eyes peeled for over in the Pac-12. And yeah, like I say, I'm going to be kind of rooting for them um, as a Pac-12 supporter, (laughs) and uh, you know, wanting wanting the Pac-12 to do well and. I, I really want Utah to do it, I want them to go undefeated. And like I say, not having to play the Ducks is uh, is a bit of a boon for them, I would say. But anyway, yeah, we'll move on. Uh, elsewhere in week two, the big wins for Alabama, Georgia, Wisconsin. Uh, we posted a shutout, so did Ohio State. And Oregon came back from their, their loss against Auburn to beat Nevada. posting a big score, scoring over 70 points. And aside from that a uh, big win for Oklahoma as we said uh, before another big win Jalen Hurts continued his red hot starts the season uh his work was done quite early he went 14 for 18 259 yards and three more touchdowns through the air. like i say he he got he was done i think it was just after halftime or at halftime soon as 28 to zip after uh putting on 14 points on the scoreboard each quarter in the first half and then they uh, pulled on 28 in the third and another 14 in quarter four with a big win over South Dakota. And, um, yeah, like I say, Hurts was done. A few of the other starts were done quite early. And QB1 staff Spencer Rattler actually came on late in late in the game. He went 4-4-4, four four, uh, 50 yards and a touchdown. So uh, maybe, another, maybe another one to keep your eye on um, for the sort of supply line of Oklahoma quarterbacks. Maybe another Heisman winner in the making in Spencer Rattler. We obviously know he's quite talented from his high school days and big big recruit coming out. And uh, you know, when Hertz Hurts leaves for the NFL potentially after this year, probably after this year, maybe he'll have a chance of getting the starting job. And uh, and like I say, being the next next uh, Oklahoma QB to take advantage of uh, Lincoln Riley's system that he's got going on there, that seems to have a lot of results both uh, at the end of season award and obviously on the field. Uh, so yeah, like I say, a lot of big programs posting easy pickings and easy wins. Uh, this weekend just gone. But let's move on to a couple of big games before we move on to the NFL stuff and the rookie stuff. Uh, two of the games of the weekend, really, that everyone sort of had earmarked. Uh, one that we were really excited about, one that Tom was really excited about, especially on the 14 hours college podcast just before the season started when we were going through the calendar and circling some uh, games for your, your calendar. This is our first, sort of first big one, I would say, and that was Clemson, uh, who hosted uh, Texas A&M in South Carolina in Clemson. Um, you know, Tommy even predicted the win for Texas I in this one, however, just wasn't to be unfortunately. Kellen Mond just simply didn't play well enough. Um, he played really well in the first week. He was on our radar, we were sort of talking about him a little bit last week. And um, yeah, we were expecting a lot more, but he just missed throws, his internal clock seemed a little bit off, and uh, yeah, like I say, just didn't, didn't really play up to the standard required to make this one any closer. Trevor Lawrence and Clemson did play really well. I'm not going to take that away from them, but I expected Dexay and to put up a little bit more of a fight um, and a little bit more fight than a lot of, a lot of people expected, which is a bit, bit of a shame, really. I was watching I was watching on BT Sport for the whole day of college football, right through from game day, right through to the LSU-Texas game, which I'll come on to in a second. You know, The first game was Ohio State at Cincinnati. That was a walkover. It was done quite early on. And then I'd I'd say that you know from quite early on that Clemson texas A was a bit of a walkover as well, which was a bit like I say a bit of a shame. And um, it wasn't the sort of it was quite disappointing. It wasn't the it wasn't the the game. It wasn't the the day of action and close games that we expected. You know, we expected Cincinnati to put up a little bit more of a fight. You know, we always expected um excuse me Ohio State to put up you know the victory in that one. Justin Fields played really well. Um, then we expected quite a close one cost the next then it was anyway and then you know we would have finished off with a really great game with lsu at texas which was an actual really great game one wasn't disappointing the slightest definitely one to stay up for both qbs joe burrow for lsu and sam ellinger for texas of course both traded blows all night long and like i say it was well worth staying up for um to watch this one both these qbs looked actually i would say they looked as good as i've ever seen them personally um, obviously, we know my history with Sam Ellinger. Obviously, writing that piece alongside Thomas earlier in the year, um, earlier in the summer, when we went sort of head to head on him. But yeah, he played really well. Both both of these guys made big time throws. Looked really comfortable in their respective offenses. Had good command of them. Both QBs counted for over four hundred yards in passing. Joe Burrow, well over. Sam Ellinger, just a tick over. And then obviously, Ellinger was uh, Texas's uh, leading rusher on the ground too, in typical Sam Ellinger fashion. I'll, I'll we'll say on that score it's not all good news. I think they kind of trust him with his legs way too much, and he trusts himself with his legs way too much. He doesn't look to stand in the pocket for as long as he should do, in my opinion. And uh, when he bails, it's a little bit too late. And uh, like I say, he just thinks he can take on anything. And you know he's a big guy, he's a powerful runner, he's a, he's a good runner, he gets good results, but um, he's going to get hit, he's going to take hits, and that could obviously be to his detriment as the season wears on. Um but yeah, he, he played well and I can't take anything away from him on this game, but we definitely want to watch. This game's definitely one I'll be studying in draft season. Uh when it when it comes round, just look at both these guys if they do come out. Um and yeah, if you've not if you not watched this one already, if you missed it, if you sort of went to bed a little bit too early, it's a good one to go back on ESPN player if you've got it. Um and it's worth watching, or if like me, if you if you like to sort of sit down on a Thursday evening and set your record for all the games that you want to record on BT. Or even, you know, you, you know these games are available on YouTube usually, um, shortly after, through one way or another. It's definitely worth going back and watching this LSU at Texas game. Uh, it was a really good game, and quite a few good performances, and it wasn't all about the quarterbacks either. Um, quite a few good wide receiver performances, uh, especially for Texas. Brennan Eagles, Devin Duvernay, and they both outperformed Colin Johnson, who was sort of my wide receiver one for Texas, and he's their wide receiver one. He's uh, a really good wide receiver. He's going to be... Right up there when it comes to this draft class in early next year, and uh, yeah, both all three all three guys, sorry, uh, they all brought in some really nice catches on the night, and uh, yeah, put up big numbers, especially Eagles who led the team in in uh, yards. Flip it over to LSU. Uh, we know it's DBU, and also <laughs> on the same score, we know um, I can't go an episode of the Full Time College Podcast without mentioning a cornerback, and I simply have to mention one on LSU. Derek Stingley Jr. six foot one, one ninety pounds. He's a freshman corner starting opposite Christian Fulton, who obviously is the big name for LSU. So to have you know just a, a freshman corner starting for a big name program, especially one as sort of with a rich lineage of uh, defensive backs and corners as LSU just has a lot in itself. Um, then we take a look at his coverage ability at man. You know it, while while it wasn't perfect all night, I saw a scrappy young man who looks very very promising indeed. Some of his coverage reps against experienced college wide receivers were absolutely excellent. And you can tell him he's been well coached over there down in Louisiana. And, uh, you know, they've they've got good players to sort of coach him on the field as well. You know, Christian Fulton being one of those people. Obviously, as a freshman, Stingley's not going to be eligible for the draft for a couple of years. But he's one to take note of, especially, like I say, uh, LSU have obviously got a rich history of corners at the college level. History that I do- uh, documented earlier in the summer with my supply line series. Uh, if you haven't already, go over to sportsnails and have a read. You know I mentioned Patrick Peterson, Morris Claiborne uh, in the past, and then moved forward to the future with uh, Greedy Williams. Obviously, who's just just come out and now uh, playing for the Browns, and obviously we're focusing on Christian Fulton, who is there in the present. And you know it's early days, um, but Derek Stingley Jr. could be the sort of next top LSU corner who. He's going to be the next one off the production line, and probably have me write another article about him in a couple of years when he's so maybe uh, right up there towards the top of the uh, the draft class at the position. And obviously, I'm someone who takes note of corners back, so he's definitely on my radar for the uh, the coming season and beyond. So yeah, I just wanted to wrap that up. Uh, that's the college section sort of done uh, this week. Uh, I wanted to mention a few rookies get onto that. Obviously, it's the start of the NFL and the 100th season. So I just wanted to sort of dedicate a little bit of the show to that. But yeah, um, really good week of college football under the under the bell, and uh, moving on to week three, which should be another cracker. Um, but yeah, so yeah, want to get into the uh, the NFL stuff and the, the rookie stuff, and first up, I just want to mention some wide receivers who had themselves a day on the on Sunday, and well, not just on Sunday either. Uh, first of all, the game that I watched on Saturday, early doors. Obviously, everyone knows probably by now that I'm a Chargers fan. Which, you know, mean that the Chargers often occupy the later slot in the UK, um, you know, nine o'clock, nine nine twenty five, kick off. Means that, you know, when I've got game pass, um I'm free from six and I wanna watch a game. So the first game that I sort of gravitated towards, especially having done my little breakdown of what I expected the um Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson and that offence to be like, I naturally gravitated towards Miami and the Baltimore Ravens coming into town and Putting an ass whooping on the Dolphins, which you know, Dolphins fans might not mind, since they're there, you know, apparently tanking. And one person that stood out well, no, first of all, before against into the wide receivers, first of all, it was actually quite satisfying to watch and see that quite a few of my predictions that I sort of put together in that little video that I did on Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens offense kind of came to fruition. There was a lot of you know, Lamar wasn't as much of a runner. He when he did he protected himself a little bit better. There was a lot of quick hitting stuff. There was a lot of your know, slants and underneath um, easy completions, getting the ball out of Lamar's hands pretty quickly. And then obviously you know as we saw a few times we hit a long bomb to Marquise Brown and we hit, although quite in quite odd fashion, we hit uh, Miles Boykin in the red zone as well. So yeah, quite satisfying for me to see that. After the when the podcast goes up, I'm going to post up that video again. That was on YouTube for everyone to watch. I think that's quite well received and um, yeah I was quite proud of it it's not not my best work uh, my first sort of dipping my toe into the water of the YouTube market and sort of seeing what I can do video wise but I'm definitely improving that area nonetheless uh, but anyway yeah just so sort I of wanted to kind of mention that and how satisfied I was to sort of see my predictions come true a little bit and big part of that was Marquise Brown and like I said on the video uh who, you know some people might have seen and some people might do in the future, just get the ball into Marquise Brown's hands as quick as possible and good things happen. He's got Olympic speed, you know, I think he actually did uh appear for the US Olympics and I think it was at a relay, although it might not be might not be um correct when I say that. And um you know, as we know, well all people apart from Max Kellerman know, that, you know, Olympians are real athletes and, you know, they're not failed athletes and they can have a lot of translatable skills that will help them in other sports, which, you know, the NFL is one of. And Marquise Brown absolutely torched uh, the Dolphins for 147 yards and a couple of scores. So, yeah, big game for him. Um, Big game for the Ravens. I don't think they'll be quite as explosive the whole time, but, you know, it's on the Dolphins after all. But I will sort of be keeping my eye on them in future when they play actual NFL teams uh, for the rest of the season. Outside of Marquise Brown, we've got Terry McLaurin who put up big numbers for the Redskins and already looks like their best wide receiver. We know that the Redskins don't have a a great deal of talent or a great deal of proven talent, let's say, at the wide receiver position. You know They drafted Kelvin Harmon, who had a decent game himself, and they drafted McLaurin. Um, McLaurin, I think, was in the third round, if I remember correctly, and he put up 125 yards, uh, showed his right running ability. And one thing I really like this draft pick for was um, his relationship that would be pre-existing from college from Ohio State with... Um, with Dwayne Haskins. Obviously, that's not quite being used yet, as Case Keenum is the starter at the moment for Washington. But Terry McLaurin picked up where he left off, looking like a top NFL prospect and top NFL player. Next on the agenda is AJ Brown. Uh, Obviously, we know everyone saw it on the Sky game earlier on uh, in the earlier time slot against the Browns. Everyone's expecting the Browns to go up against the Titans and win. But AJ Brown looked really good. um, And, yeah, put up 100 yards, and just like another NFL ready wide receiver, which, you know, some people thought he was and some people kind of like me a little bit, a little bit more down on him. I think I had him as wide receiver six in the class, but that was kind of wasn't really a knock on AJ Brown. It was kind of a, a, a kind of positive that the rest of the wide receiver class was was so good. And uh, one person I'm going to come on to now who was the top of that list for me was DK Metcalf. Yeah, DK Metcalf, who, he was good uh, for Seattle. He got 89 yards. And for catches. So, yeah, he obviously didn't bring in, a t- bring in any touchdowns, but he, he looked good. He didn't look anything you know extra than what I'd seen when I was sort of looking at him and making his evaluation before the draft. He doesn't win with finesse. He doesn't need to move laterally for those who were uh, worried about his three-cone. He wins with speed and power and just being a better athlete than everyone. And you don't need to be a complete, complete wide receiver to, to be anything but successful. You know, the Seahawks, the way they're built, with their running backs and the wide receivers that they've got, you know, they've got a bunch of running backs who can all sort of rotate, keep things fresh. And then they've got DK Metcalf, Jaron Brown, Tyler Lockett, and Gary Jennings, as well as David Moore. And what do you know about those guys? Well, they're all fast. So, what the Seattle offense is going to be is going to be ground and pound, ground and pound, ground and pound, play action, hit them over the top. And people like DK Metcalf and all those other guys who I mentioned uh, are going to profit from that. Because they're bigger, faster, stronger than most of the other DBs that are going to be guarding them throughout the season. And like I say, I was on the DK Metcalf hype train. I was a big, big fan of his. And I think, you know, he's going to have a lot of success in the NFL. Uh, so, yeah, no, big shout-out to all the uh, all the wide receivers who had themselves a day. Long may that continue. Um, especially ones, the, the ones that I liked, like DK Metcalf. And it's it's like, it's like you know, on, on Twitter, on social media, it's gone strangely quiet with all the haters for DK Metcalf at the moment. So, yeah chalk that one up for him uh, next in the NFL I just want to mention Saturday's contest between Jacksonville and Kansas City obviously Nick Foles goes down broken collarbone, he's going to be out for a while he's on IR uh, so step forward Gardner Minshew 6th uh, round pitch pick Sorry, out of uh, Washington State now take it back to the spring before the draft, I Gardner Minshew down as a late round project definitely not someone ready to start in the NFL right away but that's where we are uh, the Jags recently, uh, I think today, actually have traded a late round pick, I believe a fifth rounder for Josh Dobbs, the Steelers. Uh, but it's been announced that Minshew will remain as a starter. And why not? Because he looked pretty good. Let's let's be honest, you know, the Jags didn't win the game. But Minshew looked good. He completed 88% of his passes, 22-25, two, sorry, 275 yards and two touchdowns with only one pick. Not bad for a project, which is what I had him down as. Uh, Minchu, you know, when he was in Wazoo last year, he did get some dark horse Heisman buzz as he led uh, the Cougars to the best regular season record in the Pac-12 in Mike Leach's uh, air raid offence, quite famous air raid offence out there in the Pac-12. Uh, but the, you know, the fact that he piloted such a simplified, very college offence was one of the reasons why I doubted Minchu's ability to, to sort of start straight away in an, in an NFL offence and, and uh, have success, which is why I thought it was a project and definitely shouldn't be starting week two. Uh, Gardner's a bit of a, co- a character, if you haven't guessed that already, with the bandana and mustache. Uh, he looks a little bit like a bad Baker Mayfield impersonator to me, but obviously got confidence. He's got, you know, carries himself very well, uh, speaks very well, which quite a few people would have seen after the game. And maybe it's that confidence and fearlessness which got him through, uh, you know, something that was an unexpected uh, scenario, um, and you know, he came through it with, with, yeah, you know, I'm not going to say flying colours, but he came through the test pretty well. And he's actually a really interesting story, for those who don't already know. He walked on at Troy, obviously not a big university, um, and he didn't win the starting job. Um, He transferred to JUCO. Uh, He won the Junior College National Championship before he was set to transfer to Alabama. He was going to be the QB3 behind Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Hurts last year. Um, Nick Saban basically promised him a graduate assistant's job. Um, After the season, you know, he'd play out the QB3, be the backup, uh, learn their system and then become a graduate assistant. Then Mike Leach called, took him to Wazoo and the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, He had a great season and, uh, yeah, ended up being a draft pick in the NFL, which he wouldn't have been, obviously, as a QB3 in Alabama. So the Jags are going to be an interesting watch uh, with Minshew under centre, that's for sure. Um, So, yeah, keep your eye on that one. Uh, Yeah, last but not least, just want to round it out with one, a little mention from Monday Night Football. And Josh Jacobs, so obviously the Raiders before the season, it's obviously their last uh, last uh, year in Oakland, uh, last year on that horrendous baseball pitch. And, um, you know, obviously the, the the controversy with AB, obviously all that, everyone thought they were going to be a dumpster fire, but they went out and played really, really well. And Jacob, Josh Jacobs was one person who, he, he shone really brightly, actually, and he played really well. And I just want to read out this stat that I... Um, that I saw when I was uh, watching Monday Night Football, which is the that sorry that Josh Jacobs is the first player since two thousand and one to have hundred scrimmage yards and two touchdowns or two rush touchdowns on NFL debut. So yeah, pretty good, pretty good stat line, um, and he played pretty well and throughout the game he was quite a driving force behind the Broncos' win. Didn't go down. On first contact, quite often, and uh, yeah, really, like I said, really drove them forward and got a lot of good yards. And a really impressive, impressive, sorry, performance by the Raiders. Um, as I said, they were kind of not expected to do a lot this season, and they might still not do a lot this season. But you know, they were they were quite good against the Broncos and Derek Carr, especially. And just back to that Jake, Josh Jacobs uh, stat, sorry, the he was the first person to do that since a guy who I'm quite fond of, Ladanian Tomlinson. So yeah. Josh Jacobs played really well, and uh, another one, another one of the good rookies that will really little at the NFL on. Well, on this weekend, I want it on Sunday night. And as the college and uh, yeah, college and NFL draft podcast or podcast arm of the Full Ten Yards, long may that continue, of course. Um, so yeah, that wraps up the show. Hope you all enjoyed this one. Uh, we'll be back again um, for another episode next week. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at Wakefield90. If you want to. For the Full 10 Yards CFB account, it is at Full 10 Yards CFB. And of course, obviously, go over to wwwfull for all of our content. And obviously, would advise you to listen to all the other branches and see what they're doing. There's a lot of good stuff coming out of this group, and obviously, very excited now moving into this season on all fronts not just the college football front, but on the NFL front as well, which means we should be really kicking off and uh, getting things started. So, like I said, I'll, tr- I'll uh, close that traditionally. So, yeah, we'll see you on the other side, people. Thanks for listening to the podcast. For all your football needs, check out our website, full10yards.com or follow us on Twitter at Full10YardsCFB. And remember, keep those eyes peeled.